the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus told him, It is also written, Do not test the Lord your God. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and began to serve him. Julia, good morning. How are we all doing? Good. Yeah, I will be at the fair this week. I was born and raised at the fair, and so this is my time. This is Fairfield County holiday right here, so I'm going to celebrate it, you know. Madison fish sandwich, count me in, all right? But I'm Johnny. If we haven't met, um, it's good to be with you this morning. I'm going to start off with praying, and then we're going to jump into our teaching time this morning. So Jesus, we thank you for this morning, this time together to worship you, to look to your word. And Lord, we, we do. We, uh, I just pray this morning we would just come before you just with a desire and a hope uh, to be transformed by your word and by your spirit, that we uh, would come together and we just humbly come saying we need you, we need your word, and we need you to come into our life. We pray as well, we just pray for our world and just what's happening, what's, what's going on in Israel and the Middle East. We do, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We just acknowledge that war is not of you. And so, Jesus, we pray as, as, as an opportunity just to pray into you, Jesus, that you, you give us a vision of the kind of life that we, um, we can live where a, a lion and a lamb can lay together. And that's, what we, that's our hope. That's what our hope and our trust is in your vision, Jesus. And so we pray that that vision would be on earth as it is in heaven. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've, I think I've said this before uh, from the stage, but I feel like there's just two kinds of people. You know, there are people who see rules that you need to follow those rules, and then there's those people who think rules are just there for guidelines, right? To see how can you, like, get around those rules. And then they marry each other, um, and then you do life, right? Do you, does anybody, anybody else resonate with that? Yep. So we have rule followers. And you know, like, because there's a perfect opportunity at the fair, when you leave the fair and you have to go to the east side of town, there's clearly a sign that says, no left turn, right? For some of you who live on the east side of town, you know that. 
And it's a pain in the butt to have to drive like all the way around town. And so you know which one you are depending on if you turned left or if you turned right. Because as long as there's not a cop around or there's no cars, you're just like, all right, I'm going to turn left, right? Uh, that's how it works. But uh, I'm going to show a few ways, because some of you, when you see rules or laws, it's a challenge. Like, how can I get away with this or get around this? And so I thought I would share you guys some creative ideas, you know, uh, that you could use. So, you know, with, uh, there's one, this was from, uh, submitted from a rule in a dorm room that said you couldn't have pumpkins, you know, in your dorm room for Halloween. And so they decided to, that nothing that says you can't use pineapples. So they used the pineapple. Uh, one workplace, they had a rule that you couldn't paint your office. And so this person did this. They, they found uh, all the different samples that you could get from like Lowe's and Home Depot, and they just put them on their office wall. Pretty, pretty creative. Uh, I, I don't know about you, uh, if you went to a uh, heathen college like Ohio State that I went to, there was no real rules around, you know, gender, you know, like when guys and girls can go in different dorms. But if you go to a Christian college or something, usually there's some rules and guidelines on, you know, the opposite sex going into the dorm and that sort of thing. And so this couple decided to do this, you know, to, you know, go on a date from the outside of their dorm room, right? Now, if you, depending on what Christian college is like, some colleges, you can't be within like six feet. They have like mask mandate uh, rules when it comes to being around the opposite gender, but that was pretty creative. And this, this last one, I think it's pretty funny. You know, there's a sign here, parking spaces for only green vehicles, you know, and this is what you got, right? Um, <laughs> just a, hey, it's green. Uh, I'm not sure how, or, you know, how good it is for the, you know, pollution. But anyway, but so we're going to talk this morning about authority and following uh, the authority in our life. And so we're, if you're new with us, we're in this series called Not Return Void. It's a series all on Scripture. And so the topic this morning has to do with the authority of Scripture, the authority Scripture plays in our life. And so uh, as a church, and many uh, churches, they, they usually have something along these lines in our statement of faith, because, faith, because we truly believe that the, the Bible has a, a, an ultimate authority over our lives. And so both in our you know, statement of faith and Vineyard USA's statement of faith, we say it like this. It's called the sufficiency of Scripture. We believe that the Holy Spirit inspired the human authors of Holy Scriptures, that the Bible is without error in the original manuscripts. We receive the six books of the Old and New Testament as our final absolute authority, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. But, like we see here, uh, some of us, and I think it's all of us in a sense, tend to have some issues along the lines of authority, of whether it's following the rules, or if you're like an apparent, it's trying to enforce the rules, right? Of trying to use our authority in some way to, um, you know, to, to get a specific outcome. And so sometimes we have seen uh, power and authority often misused. And we've seen authority used in such a way to kind of control people, to control it or manipulate folks. Uh, and so I think there's been this, uh, like what they call this ongoing um, maybe mistrust in any kind of authority when it comes to maybe institutions or politicians or individuals. And, and there's probably some aspect of that that's because 
people have misused authority and have misused a position to control people. And so what they say is, is not as this, that they've done some studies, like each generation uh, has seen that the lack of mistrust or having issues with authority has becoming, uh, growing more and more of a problem. So why is that? Why do, we, why do we need to talk about the authority of Scripture in our life? Is it really just about control? Is it really just about God using this as a way to control us? And so I want to talk about two problems to address before we actually go into this. There's two problems that I think can happen when we think about uh, the authority of Scripture. And so on one hand, I think we need to establish that the authority of Scripture is because there's generally, potentially a lack of trust and authority in the Bible. That they, they look at the scriptures and, you know, uh, they kind of pick and choose what, what aspects of the Bible they like and they don't like. And so mainly they themselves become the authority of which parts of the Bible that they like or dislike. And so some, sometimes there's just a mistrust in the whole book of the Bible. For some, it's not understanding it or seeing it as a little bit of out of date. And so they may look that this, this Bible is not really worth trusting. But on the other hand, I think the problem is, is when we see the Bible more in the view of authority when it comes to either a structural authority or positional authority, and we make it all about rules and laws to follow. You guys with me? Like when we, when we just think of this as, hey, this is a book full of things that you need to obey, the problem is you miss the whole point of the scripture. I don't know if you've ever heard this. If you grew up in church, you've probably heard this before. Uh, but it, they've tried to generalize the Bible as the rule book for life. You ever heard that before? It's like this rule book for life that you need to follow. Or uh, there's this you know, catchy little phrase that says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You guys heard that phrase before? And uh, so don't get me wrong if, if you're like super offended. Just stick with me, okay? Stick with me. We're going to get there. But I was, happened to be in Haiti uh, when I, during a mission trip, and uh, I, we, the pastor there, he used that scripture, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And guess what passage he chose to preach out of? 1 Corinthians 11, uh, with women wearing head coverings. And so here we are, it's the most awkward church service I've ever been to in my life, because the only woman who was wearing a head covering was his wife. And so he was preaching on you know, why women should wear head coverings and this sort of thing. And God said it, you need to do it. Um, and, it and yet, like, like, the women were arguing with the pastor, like, in the middle of service. And um, then this guy who was leading another trip, he ended up having to stand up in the service and try to teach him, like, a little bit about Bible context. Really awkward church service. Um, but, so what is that? How do we do it? The problem is, right, it gets really hard to try to gauge and gets really confusing. If, if its primary is about rules to follow, it gets really confusing, isn't it? To figure out which ones are like still for us, like which ones were just meant for the Israelites in the desert, like they did some, had some weird laws, you know, back then around like rashes and like what to eat, you know, and different things. So how do, we, how do we know which ones are to obey and which ones to, uh, um, to follow? And so don't get me wrong, there are definitely commands to obey. Don't, don't read into this too much. But it's really confusing, can be, of how to do it. I mean, just take it for example. There's a command, 
Paul gives the church in five different books of the Bible, and none of you all did it this morning. You guys are a bunch of sinners. You guys didn't greet each other with a holy kiss, right? I mean, Paul is very, unless you're married, you know, so some of you are like, yep, I did that this morning. You know, just imagine for me for a second, if you're like, this is your first ever church experience, and you're like, I'm going to go to church, and you walk into the lobby, and everybody's just kissing each other. You'd be like, what church is this? And then it's scary if they're like, I'm in. This is my kind of church. Here we go. That would be a little odd. So how do we do this? How do we see the Bible as authoritative? How does the Bible, as I think the question is, how do we see that to and put, in, like, put in our minds, how can we view the Scripture as authority? And here's part of the problem, right? What I shared a couple weeks ago. The problem, the Bible, you know, over almost half of the Bible is narrative. It's story. Another third of it is poetry. So most of the Bible is just a story. So imagine for me, if, if some of you went into the military... You know, some of you, just imagine getting a command, attention, right? And you get all ready, and you have to stand attention, and then your military officer goes, okay, now once upon a time, there is a, you know, and starts sharing a story, and then he says, go. Like, you'd be like, what? What do we do, right? There's not so much like that. And yet Jesus, when he mainly taught, right, he would share short stories or parables. There's something else, right, than more than rules to follow. And so here's the goal, and I promise you, I did not, we did not talk with the Snyders this morning about what songs to sing. But here is, here, I want you to get the idea, here's our goal this morning. This is kind of my thesis for my talk this morning. It's a quote by N.T. Wright. He says this, God's authority vested in Scripture is designed, as all God's authority is designed, is to liberate human beings, to judge and condemn evil and sin in the world in order to set people free to be fully human. That's what God is in the business of doing, and that is what his authority is there for. And when we use a shorthand phrase like the authority of Scripture, that is what we ought to be meaning. It is an authority with this shape and character, this purpose and goal. It's for our freedom. Not a freedom just to do whatever we want, but what we're going to see is the freedom that we are able to walk in for what God has for us. And so the context we're going to look at this is in Matthew 4. That's what Julie read out of us. is this interaction between Satan and Jesus, and it's really all about how to interpret Scripture and how Scripture, the role Scripture plays, specifically when it comes to authority. But before we get there, Matthew, the writer of this, this uh, incredible book that many acclaim uh, if you really study and understand this book, this is like, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, a masterpiece when it comes to literature. It's, it's a, Matthew was just a literally a, a, a literary genius when it comes to how he composed and put this together. But the original audience would have had some assumptions when they heard this um, story, specifically this story between Jesus and Satan. And so for some of us, some of us maybe have that, those assumptions, but maybe for some of us, we don't. And so to, to kind of get a baseline to make sure we're all on the same page, I'm going to read out of Genesis 3. So if you know the story, there's a story between Adam and Eve and the serpent or Satan. And so again, 
everybody who would have read this would have immediately thought about Genesis 3, uh, with this interaction of the original sin, as well as, um, you know, the Israelites in the desert in the story of Deuteronomy, all right? I don't have time to go through the whole story of Deuteronomy, so we're just doing Genesis 3, okay? But you'll see the connect point. So I'm going to read here. This is just Genesis 3, um, and I'm just going to read it straight through, and I'll just a couple nuggets I want us to understand first. So in Genesis 3, it says this, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the middle in the tree, or sorry, the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. Notice the serpent's response. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So what I want to talk about this is what many of you have probably heard or referred to as the original sin and this temptation that the serpent gave um, our first ancestors. And what does the serpent truly go after? He goes after trust. Trust in God. Did God really say and trust in God's definition of good and evil. You won't die. He's holding out on you. If you do this, you'll, you'll attain wisdom. You'll get the knowledge of good and evil. You will eat it, and you'll be like God. And so when we say the original sin, what we're saying is not that it's not only just the first sin, but it's the truest thing about all sin. Right? And it's all about trust, isn't it? At the heart of sin is this idea of not trusting in God, but trusting in ourselves and trusting in our ability to choose or what we think is good and evil and defining that for ourselves, not by what God says. And there's two ways that Satan does this, as you want you to be real clear, on how he goes after or erodes trust. It's through a voice, often a voice in our head, and a desire in our heart, isn't it? A disordered desire. So it's a voice. He, he says, is that really God? He, he tries to use a lie, right, uh, of our thought process, a voice in our head. And then it's, it's our desires. It's disordered desires. And you notice that Eve, she looked at the fruit. She saw that it was delightful and good. And it says, right, it was desirable for attaining wisdom. So she took it. It, so that's often how our trust erodes in God. It's, it's usually a voice in our head with lies and that sort of thing, and it's these disordered desires in our hearts. And often what we see then, that original sin gets repeated over and over and over again, doesn't it? And it goes throughout the whole Old Testament. It's that story over and over and over again. It's the Israelites in the wilderness choosing to try and trust in themselves uh, you know, it was a 10-day journey that they went on. 
from you know, parting the Red Sea. It should, should have only taken them 10 days to get into the promised land that God has for them. So God's getting them ready you're, you're, you're to march over. They go and they see what the people are like. They're giants. God, you're going you're gonna to kill us. And so they chose not to follow God or trust in what God had. And so it led from 10 days to 40 years to try to prove God's trustworthiness and his provision. And that reality is that's all of our story, isn't it? That's all of our stories. Is we have uh, any decision we've gone against God, it's because we've trusted in ourselves, in our trust, in our own way of defining good and evil. And so that story gets repeated over and over again throughout all the Old Testament until Jesus. Until Jesus comes. And here we are in Matthew 4, and right before this, Jesus is baptized. You know, the heavens open up. Uh, God declares, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. And this was before Jesus did anything miraculous or anything like this. And then here we are in chapter 4, and this is a great baptism gift that, that the Spirit gives Jesus, right? Because it says here in chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's a great baptism gift, right? Like, we usually give some kind of gift. I've never sent a baptism candidate into the wilderness and said, let's test you. Maybe we need to do that. I'm just kidding. None of you want to sign up for baptisms now. But then he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Again, a symbolism of the 40 years in the desert. And he says he was hungry. This is like the truest statement ever in the Bible. But again, think desire. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus' answer, right? You guys know this. I talked about this a couple, year, uh, couple weeks ago. It, Jesus replies a quote from Deuteronomy. It is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So test one. Jesus has three tests. Test one, and I'm going to keep these pretty short. But test one is, is not so much the, the Satan is trying to like say, are you really the son of God? That's not his, his heart. He's saying, if you are the son of God, how are you going to use that role and that a position of authority? So if you are truly the Messiah, how are you going to act on that role that you have? What kind of authority are you going to have here on earth? You spent 40 days, you're not hungry. You have the power, here's a stone, make it bread. Don't you have that power? Do you guys get me? It's, it's not a matter of saying, Jesus, are you the son of God? It's really, the heart of it is, are you going to trust in God's provision? Or because you have the power, are you going to provide for yourself? Can you use your miraculous means? We all know that Jesus did some miraculous supernatural stuff. Are you going to use that for your own benefit? Are you going to trust in God's provision? And that's where Jesus quotes the scripture. I am going to trust in God's provision. I'm not going to fail like the Israelites did in the, in the wilderness. I'm going to choose to trust in God's provision that I must live on, the, on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so if you think about Jesus, you think about his life, you can't really point to a point in all the miraculous things Jesus did, he never did it to do what? For himself. Everything he did miraculous was what? out of compassion for somebody else. I mean, you could say, walking on water, that's pretty, I mean, did he just not want to, like, go in the boat? But what, did he, what was part of that? It was, it was for Peter's benefit, right? To say, hey, you 
can walk and do the things that I'm doing. And so there's this idea. Is Jesus, are you going to use your power for your own benefit? Or are you going to trust in God's provision? Jesus says, I'm going to trust in God's provision. Test two, we read. And the devil took him to the holy city, which was Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. Okay, this is like one of the highest points of the temple. There was this valley that went down below it. So again, don't you think like Mount Pleasant, I mean, just so you know, that's a pretty high place. He says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. So it's interesting. Satan quotes scripture, right? So again, let's just think about this for a minute. Knowledge of Scripture is not the goal. Satan knew Scripture. The Pharisees knew the Scripture. It's how we use the Scripture, right? And so Satan says, quote Psalm 91, he will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Again, this is not a temptation to say, are you the Son of God? It's how are you going to use your power as the Son of God? So what you can do right now is I'm going to stand on this big ledge. Guess what? You jump. All these angels are going to come. They're going to rescue you. And guess what? Everybody on TikTok and Instagram is going to catch that, show that, and everybody's going to know that you're the Messiah. It can become a spectacle. What's, what's the heart of this? Again, test number two is this idea. I'm going to put it on the screen. Is that this response of, and Jesus responds, right? Sorry, Deuteronomy. Again, another quote from Deuteronomy. It is also written, do not test the Lord your God. So the heart of his response then is having a relationship of trust which needs no test. He's basically saying uh, this little spectacle would have put uh, an event that would require the, 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 of God to act but what Jesus is saying, I'm not here to get God to act on what I want to do. I'm in here to obey what God wants me to do. You guys are following me? This is his test, right? I'm not here on my terms. I'm on here on God's terms. He often said, right, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I, what I hear the Father saying. <clears throat> so part of this idea is having this relationship of trust that I don't need to test God. I'm here just to, to do his will. Lastly, the last test, probably the biggest test. The devil took him to a very high mountain. Mount Pleasant, that's, what I, that's the analogy I should have used here. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, Fairfield County and all of the splendor. And he said to them, I will give you these things if you fall down and worship me. I could go into a lot of this. So, it's interesting, right? Satan says, I will give you. So what does that mean? He's, he has it. And what's he offering? He's offering this kingdom, right? And that's one of the reasons Jesus came, right? Jesus' mission was to achieve worldwide dominion. The question is going to be how. And right here, this test is, do you want that kingdom with or without a cross? Do you want those kingdoms, do you want that outcome with or without suffering? Do you want that outcome with literally the, the worst mutilation of your body that you can have? Here's this test, Jesus. 
Well, it sounds nice, right? I get the outcome. This is what I came for. Is it going to be on his terms or is it going to be on God's terms? And so test number three, Jesus passes by trusting, and, and he says again, he quotes Deuteronomy, go away from Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and the angels came and began to serve him. So test number three was a test in the story God's writing, not what the story he could write. Jesus passes the test that both Adam and Eve didn't pass, the Israelites didn't pass, that you and I don't pass. Jesus passes the test that we, that we couldn't. But he also models for us true biblical authority. And here's the thing. In this story, it has much more to do about Jesus obeying the right things or the right rules to follow. What I'm saying is Jesus trusted in God and trusted in the story he was writing, not his own. This is what I'm going to argue is true biblical authority. It's authority rooted in story and not necessarily just rules. See, the goal of testing, in my opinion, if you look at all of Scripture, the goal of testing or temptation is to get you to live a different story than the one God has for you. It's to veer you, to distract you, to use both a voice in your head and a desire in your heart to live a story apart from God, not trusting in him and not trusting what he has for you. He wants you to live a different story, to get you, even whether it's using the scriptures or using something in order to, to get you off track for what God has for you. But what Jesus shows us is, is trusting in the story that God wants to write, and Jesus does this by trusting in the Scriptures. He trusts in the Scriptures as a way to trust in an act of trust in God. This is his source of victory. This is what he goes to. And then he actually shows and models then how we should read it, how we should listen, but how we ultimately should live under the Scriptures. And so what we see then, what I love about this story, is you get to see the story that Jesus wants to live into, or the story God wants to write. So immediately after the angels, you know, they, they came and they probably, you know, I don't know, gave him some Chick-fil-A, got them all going again, and it says, then Jesus left, and this is what he was called to do in verse 14. This was what to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. It's to accomplish, to fulfill what all the scripture was pointing to, to show him this is why he was coming. And I'm just briefly just summarizing part of because this, this quote from Isaiah. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light, and for those landing or living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So if you look at the story that Satan was trying to move Jesus away from was more all about him and what it could accomplish for him. The story God's inviting Jesus into was, look, if you, if you follow this story, it leads to people experiencing light in the kingdom. If you choose my story, if you trust in my story, you're going to be a, a mechanism that people will get to taste this story, this freedom that I have for them. So again, this main point, my main argument this morning authority in Scripture. It's, it's trusting in Scripture as an act of trust in God and trusting in the story God wants to write in and through our lives over the voices in our head and the desires of our heart. That is what biblical authority is. And here's the problem, and this is for all of us, 
because it's the, it's the water we swim in. The authority that we've given is what? Our desires and our thoughts. That is ultimately, we're living in a culture, right, where it's all about do what makes your heart, what, happy. It's, it's all about, that becomes the authority. That's the way we gauge what is true or what is good. It's all in us. And here's this opportunity to let this be the authority over any voice we have in our head and any desires in our heart. And we're actually going to go more about this next week with just how do we combat the lies and voices in our heads. Okay? So here's the story, the freedom we are told, the story we get involved in. So the first one is, is a gospel story. Again, this isn't so much this. On one hand, the story shows us, Jesus models for us, Here's how, this is how you overcome temptation. But at the same time, it's Jesus doing what we can't do in ourselves. And this is the gospel story. This is the whole gospel story. Jesus came to do what we could not do in ourselves. If this was merely a bunch of rules to follow, and if it was all about just following the right rules, Jesus didn't need to come, right? He didn't need to come. If it was just, if it was just based on our behavior and doing the right things, Jesus wouldn't need the cross. But here's the the beautiful good news of the gospel, right? His righteousness becomes what? Our righteousness. His test grade becomes our test grade. And if you were were in Alpha, you know there's this promise of Scripture, and and Nikki Gumbel used this analogy, that this is all of our sin, all of our iniquity, all the things that we've done as a way to mistrust God. And if you think about it, you know, my book needs probably a little bit taller. I don't know about yours. But here's all the ways I've mistrusted God and tried to trust in myself and tried to trust in my definition of good and evil. And this thing just separates my relationship with God. And it says, right, the good news of the gospel is all of our iniquity is placed on Jesus. And this is this visual, right? This is the heart. This is the, this is the story we get to live into. And this is what the scriptures point to, right? It's a gospel story. It's a good news story that we get to live into. It's all about Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I have voices all the time, right, that say, really? Like that last time, you know, anybody else? Anybody have those voices that try to disqualify you or say you're not worthy of that good news? This, right, is what reminds us. It tells us this story that we live into. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. His righteousness is my righteousness. And how about you? I have a desire often to earn it, to try to get myself lovable, that God would love me. But this is this gospel story we get to live into. And then the other side, we get to live into the kingdom story, not this earthly story. Jesus' message is, right, was repent or change your mind. This kingdom is at hand. We, we can, this is reality, that we can live into this kingdom reality. And he would often teach. And he'd have these parables. He'd have this, these opportunities to try to say, hey, this is the story. This is reality that you can live into. He'd say things like, the kingdom of heaven is like this. There's not commandments in that, right? There's, there's an opportunity to align ourselves with the kingdom. And in the Sermon on the Mount is just this collection of teachings, and it's really about how do we live into His kingdom and domain. 
So lastly, right, that's what I'm summarizing. Trusting in Scripture is an act of trust in God and trusting in the story God wants to write in and through our lives. But there's one last thing that the authority of Scripture should do, is that's for us to live out that story into the world. There's this beautiful quote, again, it's from N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright has this essay, if you, if you want to search um, N.T. Wright. It's very academic, but um, he just talks about the, this idea of the authority of Scripture as the story of Jesus. But he says it this way. Authority in the church, that means, then means the, the church's authority with Scripture in its hand and heart is to speak and act for God in this world. It is not simply that we may say in the church, are we allowed to do this or that? Where are the lines drawn for our behavior? Or must we believe the following 17 doctrines if we are really to be sound? God wants the church to lift up its eyes and see the field ripe for harvest and to go out armed with the authority of Scripture, not just to get its own life right within a Christian ghetto, but to use the authority of Scripture to declare to the world authoritatively that Jesus is Lord. The phrase authority of Scripture, therefore, is a short of shorthand for the fact that the Creator and Covenant God uses this book as His means of equipping and calling the church for these tasks. You guys with me? This, there's a time, there's a place. Doctrine is really, really important. Talking about theology is really, really important. But if we only use this, the authority of Scripture to be a, a, a mechanism to try to say, this defines us, and this is for us, this is to determine who's in or who's out, what's right or wrong, and we don't use it as a way that it's actually also meant for mission. Because God uses people for his mission, doesn't he? he? He uses people to not only just write this thing, but then to authoritatively go out into the world. Because I don't know about you, people are living in darkness, are they not? People are living into these stories and they need the good news, the story that Jesus has. And, and the, the main mechanism that God uses is people like you and me to go around and say, there is a different story you can live. And that's the way Jesus went around teaching, right? And he went around teaching, saying, hey, this kingdom of God is at hand. You can reach out and touch it. If you are in a season of depression or hopelessness, there's another story you can live. There's not all, it's not just this thing on this earth is what it's all about. There's a different reality you can live into. People need that, don't they? They need to see, we need that too, don't we? But they need to see that there's a different story, a different reality that they can live into. So how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we have this then, the scripture and our authority? I'm going to have the worship team come up because uh, I ran out of time. But how may we do that? N.T. Wright would say, it's, he calls it by soaking ourselves or immersing ourselves in scripture, in the power and strength and leading of the spirit in order that we may then speak freshly and with authority to the world of this other story. And so in this series, we're talking about different practices or different ways to engage in the Bible. 
And, uh, um, you know, Phil last week just talked about the role of, again, the purpose of Scripture is for our formation, not just for information. And he led us uh, through a, a little practice called Lectio uh, Divina. It's a way just to slow down, right, and let the, the Scripture penetrate us. And so I, I'd encourage you to keep doing that. But there's also an element, if we're going to do this, we're going to have this authority in our life, is we got to immerse ourselves. we got to soak ourselves in studying the Scriptures. More than just getting under the surface and wrestling through and getting curious about the things we don't understand. Things like when you read, greet each other with a holy kiss. God, what do you really want us to do? And there's a, as you start studying, as you look at it, you see that God wants to write a different story. Where in the church, it's what Paul's trying to really get to, right, is this church thing should be not just an organization you join, it's family. What, what, what this holy kiss was a way you interacted with family. So what Paul's saying is when you get together, treat each other like family, with affection, with visibility. It doesn't have to be a kiss, because, right, that's weird, and there's COVID, and there's all sorts of things. But you get to live into a family. Whether you, whether if you, know, if you didn't have a family growing up, you got a story where this people, you look around, that's your family. You get to do life with them. Doesn't that change a little bit? Don't you want to go, I want to live out that command. I want to live out that story in my life because you know what? People need a family. They need relationships. They need people who are for them. So, I'm getting too excited. So, here's what I want to encourage you. We're going to do this in a few weeks. We're going to study. We're going to immerse ourselves in a, in a book of the Bible. But I just want to share a few resources, some that have been beneficial to me and some other people I know. The first one, you've heard me refer to it a lot. It's the Bible Project. If you have no idea what the Bible Project is, I would encourage you to do that. Um, it just, again, it's all about pointing towards Jesus and his story. And then the other one is called the Bible Recap. All right? Um, I know there's a few people here who do that. Um, but again, it's all about story and helping us understand the story behind the scriptures and pointing to Jesus. And so I'd encourage you to check those out. But here's what I want to encourage you. Reading scripture should not be a on-your-own thing. Do it with other people. So if you want to do those things, if you want to check out those things, I would encourage you to do it with other people. Would you stand with me as we uh, worship together? Jesus, we thank you that more than rules that you've given us, more than um, instruction manual, like Jesus, you've given us a story to live into. That you came to rescue us, to call us out of darkness and into light. And that's the story we are celebrating this morning. That's the story we come together for. That's the story we worship for, is we are just the benefactors of your great story of coming into the world, becoming like us, and choosing to trust in God, to submit yourself and to surrender yourself to the cross in order that you still get the dominions of the earth. The kingdom is yours. And that's the reality we get to live into. So Jesus, we worship you this morning. We worship you that you are a God of a great story. We love you, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.